I was able to meet some of you last week, but my name's David Thompson, and I guess to tell you a little bit about me, I grew up in a small town in Mississippi. Since graduating from college, I've worked for a campus ministry called Crew or Campus Crusade for Christ for the past six years. I worked for them for four years at the University of Georgia and then two years at the University of Alabama, and I moved to Atlanta to finish a seminary degree, and so I'm hoping to be here as a, just a part of this, this family while I'm in Atlanta. And uh, as you just saw, we've got a tough passage today in John 12 as we keep working through John 12. But I'm excited to, to be here with you and lead through it. Uh, I guess to tell you a little bit more about me, so like I said, I grew up in a really small town in, in Mississippi. And the area I grew up in is very much a rural area. My granddad was a farmer. My other granddad was a county agent, which some people might know what that, what that job is. And then my, grand, my, my father was a cotton buyer, so kind of our lives revolved around farming. And my dad's dad, the one who was a county agent, when he retired from that job, he started a muscadine vineyard. Anybody know what a muscadine is? All right, that's, I figured the, uh, especially the older generation would know what a muscadine is. That makes me happy. Oftentimes people my age have no idea what a muscadine is. So my grandfather started this muscadine vineyard when he retired. And, and so this muscadine vineyard was a part of our family my entire life. It was he ran this vineyard, he started it from scratch, and, and ran it for about 33 years. So my entire life, this was just a part of our family. And honestly, when I was a kid, I kind of hated the Muscadine Vineyard. And the main reason I hated the vineyard was because my grandfather wanted me to get there. He wanted to, to bring me to the vineyard often to work in the vineyard with him, particularly in the winter, because it was about three and a half acres, and you've got to prune a vineyard every winter. And I don't like being cold. And he tried to get me out there every winter, so I kind of hated it. So I didn't like the vineyard. I avoided the vineyard. And it was probably when I was in college, and even when I graduated college, when I, I began to appreciate the vineyard and, and realized the vineyard was so normal for, for me that I, I, I guess I didn't realize how significant, how special that was, how special it was to grow up working in a vineyard, to, to be able to get to know my grandfather in that way. And, and I honestly didn't realize the significance of that opportunity until it was too late. My grandfather, his, his health got to a point when I went to college where he just couldn't work in the vineyard anymore. And, uh, and now, one of my favorite hobbies is gardening. And I think I got that from my granddad, I guess, which is kind of ironic, because there's so much I could have learned from my grandfather that I didn't have the opportunity to learn, because I didn't realize how special that, that opportunity was until it was too late. And, I, you know, I share that story, one, to help you get to know me a little bit more, but also, too, I think that that, that idea that sometimes there are, there are opportunities that are significant and life-changing, and yet we don't realize how significant and life-changing these opportunities are until it's too late. That's the mood of this passage, I think. And it captures a bit of the urgency that John wants us to feel as we work our way through this passage. So, so kind of my big idea is I try to, try to summarize what, what is it that John wants us to see and feel in this passage. This is it. My big idea is that Jesus is the light of the world who will lead you out of darkness. Believe in him before it is too late. I think that's the big idea, that Jesus is the light of the world. He will lead you out of darkness. Believe in him before it is too late. And to, to kind of work through our passage, I split it up in four sections. So if you, 
you, if you're a section person, this will help you out. My four sections, the first one will be the urgency of belief. The second will be the nature of unbelief. The third will be the responsibility of, of belief. And the last will be the result of belief. All right? So let me pray for us. This is, like I said, this is a, a heavy passage. And uh, it's a confusing passage in some ways. And praise God that he reveals things to us that are hard for us to wrap our minds around. If we could wrap our minds around everything in the Bible, um, I would wonder if that's a God we've created ourselves as opposed to a God who rules and reigns over us. So let me pray for us, and then we'll work through this passage. Lord, I, um, I would imagine that some of us feel distracted this morning. There are other things on our minds, or, or maybe we've come here this morning just out of routine. And, and so I, I pray for us, Lord, that you, would, that you would draw our attention to your word and that you would draw our attention to it now, that you would help us see that there's urgency in this passage that it's an urgency that trumps any urgency that we feel about the details of our lives outside of these walls. So I pray that you would help us focus and be present. Some of us need to be comforted this morning. And, and so I pray, Lord, that for those of us who need to be comforted, that you would comfort us. Some of us need to be shaken and convicted this morning. And for those of us who need to be shaken and convicted, I pray that you would disrupt us this morning by your word. So we look to you, and we, we need the eyes of our hearts to be enlightened. And so I pray for us that, that you would enlighten the eyes of our heart. Lord, we look to you. You tell us that your word does not return void. So we look to you to keep that promise this morning that as we read your word and think about it and hear it preached, that it will not return void in our lives, that you will use it to, to call some of us to faith, that you'll use it to edify um, some of us. So I ask you for that, Lord. Amen. Okay, John 12. Just so it's fresh in our minds, I'm going to read as I go section by section. So John 12, verse 35. So Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he's going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. So I'm talking about the urgency of belief in these verses, and I hope you see it. As you look at these verses, you see a couple phrases. Jesus talks about you have the light for a little while longer. He talks about how light will overtake you if you remain in darkness. Darkness will overtake you if you continue to push off the light. He uses the phrase, while you have the light. Implicit in that is that there will be a day when you will not have the light. And I hope that we, just, we feel the urgency of John in these verses, that you have the light for a little while, but there will be a day when you do not have the light. It kind of reminds me of my family when we were growing up. We were kind of a board game family. You know how some board games have the little sand dial? You flip the sand dial over. That's the image that comes into my mind when I think about this. That it's almost as if John is saying that, that there's a sand dial, and when that sand runs out, the light will be gone. We only, we only have the light for a little while. He wants us to feel that urgency. And that makes sense when you think about 
the purpose of the book of John. And, and I want to I show us the purpose of why did John write this book. And when we have the purpose in mind, I think it helps us even more as we work through this passage. I'm going to have it on the screen for you. But in John 20, John tells us why he wrote this book, which is helpful to have on your mind, I think, as we work through this passage. So in John 20, verse 30, John said this. He said, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So there it is. It's really helpful when the author tells us why he wrote it. And here's John saying, I wrote this book so that you might believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And in believing in Jesus, you would have life in his name. That's why I wrote the book. John, in a sense, is a street preacher calling you to repentance and faith. And when we think about that, the, the urgency of John 12, it makes sense. John is this evangelist. He is urgent for you to believe in Jesus so that you might have life in his name. So the urgency makes all the sense in the world when we consider the purpose of this book. So that's the, the urgency of belief. I mean, I'll pick up where I left off in verse 37. So we feel the urgency of this belief that um, as, I, as I prayed, I would imagine some of us, we have things in our lives right now that feel urgent. John wants us to see that the urgency of belief in Jesus is far more urgent than anything else going on in our lives. That's the urgency of belief. So verse 37, picking up with my second point, the nature of unbelief. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still, not, they still did not believe in him. That's a sad sentence. Especially when you consider all that these people had seen Jesus do. I mean, they, they had seen Jesus restore sight to the blind. They had seen Jesus tell a paralyzed man to stand up and walk, and he did. A chapter before, they saw Jesus take a dead man and bring him back to life. The people had seen miraculous, amazing signs. And here's John kind of giving us some commentary. And he says, Jesus had done all these things that they still did not believe. And watch what he says in the next verse. Verse 30, so that. So he says that the people saw all these signs and yet they didn't believe for this reason. So that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed, Lord, who has believed what he heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore, so again, here's John giving us some commentary. In light of this quotation from Isaiah, therefore, they could not believe. For again, Isaiah said, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. So John just said that Jesus did all these signs before the people, yet they still did not believe. They did not believe because they could not believe. They could not believe because the arm of the Lord had not been revealed to them in a spiritual sense. They'd seen him physically, but spiritually they didn't see him. And God had hardened their hearts. 
that's a hard saying. That should make us a little uncomfortable. So again, John is saying, they saw all these signs, they did not believe. They did not believe because they could not believe. They could not believe because God had hardened their hearts. That's a hard statement. Now, I realize this makes many of us uncomfortable, and I just ask, would you stay with me? Don't check out with me yet. I'm not making this up. I'm just trying to help us see what John's saying. (laughs) But I do want to say that in this passage, John is getting into this mysterious reality that God rules and reigns over every event in history, and we are responsible human beings who God holds accountable for our belief or lack thereof, which we're going to get to even more as we work through John. So stay with me. We're going to get there. Okay? So let me keep going. Verse 42, Nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees they did not confess it, so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. So here we see that there were some people who they saw the signs, and, they, and John says they did believe, but they didn't confess. So you kind of wonder what kind of belief is this? You know, is this, is this legitimate saving belief? Um, I'm not sure. They believed, but they didn't confess. They didn't confess because they cared more about what people thought of them than what God thought of them. Their relationship with people mattered more to them than their relationship with God. At worst, this isn't real faith. Maybe at best, it's faith that's, that's feeble and weak. I'm, I'm just not sure. John doesn't really tell us. But I do want to point out here, almost as an aside, of you've got people here who they see Jesus, they believe in him, but they care more about what people think of them than what God thinks of them. And this is a bit of a side, I don't think this is the main idea of the passage, but you know, I, I would just say I hope this doesn't describe us. I, I think that it's easy in church to operate in this way in which we give off this impression that we've got it all figured out, we, we understand the answers to the questions, maybe even to give off this impression that we believe this, when in reality we don't. And, and I, hope, I hope your relationship with God is more significant and that it matters more than your relationship with people. Church, this church is a safe place to be honest about unbelief, questions, doubts. And, and I think this is a bit of a, an encouragement for us that the glory of God is so much more significant than the glory of man. So let me keep moving. Verse 44. This is where I'm going to talk about the responsibility of belief. And Jesus cried out. So the verses we just looked at, notice that those were kind of commentary that John is giving on what Jesus was doing, the way the people experienced him, and and that it was a fulfillment of the prophecy of Isaiah. Here he's going to give us some more words of Jesus. So verse 44. And Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. And that is a radical claim. Jesus just said, if you see me, you see God. That's a radical claim. I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. Again, that, that's a beautiful statement. 
Jesus just said that he came into the world so that through belief in him, you would be rescued out of darkness. The image that comes into my mind for this is the Bible, the, well, the Bible gives us this image that, that we, apart from the work of Jesus in our lives, we're like people lost in a cave, a dark cave, groping around, trying to find a way out. And that Jesus came into the world as the light of the world to pluck us out of the darkness of that cave and to put us into light. And that's what we see in this verse. So as I keep going, verse 47, If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to the world to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. Now I label this section the responsibility of belief, because notice that Jesus says, If you believe in me, I will rescue you out of darkness. And he also says, if you do not believe in me, you will be judged for your unbelief. Now this gets back into that mystery that I talked about. That John is saying that on the one hand, unbelief, in this passage, the people did not believe because they could not believe. And they could not believe because God had hardened their hearts and the arm of the Lord had not been revealed to them. And then at the very same time, he says that if you believe in me, you will be redeemed and rescued. And if you do not believe in me, you will be held accountable for your unbelief. Because both the same things. I don't know about you, those don't seem to fit. They don't sound like they fit together to me. That on the one hand, we believe because God reveals himself to us. And on the other hand, if we don't believe, we're held accountable for our unbelief. I don't get how those two come together. But here's John saying that they're both true, they both exist, and they're, they're both reality, which is quite a mystery to me. And it's a mystery that I don't think he solves in this passage. And I think we want to ask the question, what, what is John trying to do in these verses? Is he trying to solve the mystery, or is he trying to do something else? And I actually think he's trying to do something else. I think what John is trying to do in these verses by quoting Isaiah and also quoting these words of Jesus where he says, if you believe, you will be redeemed, and if you don't believe, you will be judged. I think John is forcing upon us the urgency of belief. Because if you think about, if you think about Israel in Isaiah's day, so those two quotes are from the book of Isaiah. Isaiah was a prophet in the Old Testament 700 years before Jesus. And if you think about the context of the book of Isaiah, the people of Israel, they had all they needed to believe. I mean, there's a, there's a real sense in which they had seen so many signs from the Lord, and yet they still did not believe. They had all they needed to believe. They continued in their unbelief, and God hardened their hearts. And then here, same thing. The people of Jesus' day, they had seen all of these signs. They'd seen Jesus raise a man from the dead. Yet they continued in their unbelief, and God hardened their hearts. 
I think the dots that John wants us to connect is that in the same way, you have all you need to believe in Jesus. You have all you need to believe in Jesus as the Son of God who came to to be the light of the world to rescue you out of darkness. And yet if you continue in unbelief, your heart may very well be hardened, just like Israel's, just like the people in Jesus' day. I think that's what John's trying to say. That there is a, there's an urgency, like Clint talked about last week, that today is the day of salvation. You have all you need. Believe today. I think, that, I think that's what John's trying to get at. And if you believe, then you'll be rescued out of darkness. And I think this, this should be an urgency that for, for those of us who have been in church for a while, honestly, I think that this is an urgency that we should feel almost more than anyone else because you think about the context of the audience. It was people who had been around Jesus. They'd been around the Bible. They'd been around the church for a long time. And yet their hearts were hard. And so I would think, you know, honestly, if, if any of us need to heed the urgency of this, it would be those of us who have been in church for a long time, who've been around the Bible, who've been around Jesus, who, um, who've been around Jesus but maybe don't know him, who've been around Jesus but maybe don't love him, who've been around the church but our hearts aren't warm towards him. I would think if anyone needs to feel this urgency, it would be us because that was Isaiah's audience and that was John's audience. So that's the responsibility of belief, which is a a heavy point. So let me keep going. The result of belief. For the result of belief, I kind of want to go backwards. Now, you know, we could could land the plane on verse 46, which is an, an amazing promise that I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. Again, the Bible describes us as people lost in a dark cave. We don't understand our purpose. We don't understand meaning. We are separated from from God by our sin, and that Jesus came into the world to rescue us out of that darkness. We could stop there. But I actually, I want to, for the result of belief, I want to finish up with these quotes from Isaiah. And the main reason is, look at verse 41. In verse 41, John says that Isaiah said these things, so these two quotations. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Now that's interesting. John is saying that Isaiah, now again, Isaiah was a prophet 700 years before Jesus was born. He just said, that Isaiah said what he said because he saw the glory of Jesus. Now, I want to show you where he saw that glory. So we're going to go backwards. I'm going to have them on the screen. But I want to actually look at um, so these two chapters that John quotes out of Isaiah. The first quotation is from Isaiah 53, which is pretty cool. It's what we sang this morning. The second quote is out of Isaiah 6. And I want to look at those two, Isaiah 6 and Isaiah 53. And it's going to help us see in a, in a marvelous way the result of belief. 
So the first one I look at is Isaiah 6. So Isaiah 6, verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I, Isaiah, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called, out, one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Now if we kept reading, we would eventually get to this quote from Isaiah 6. And you think about this. John is saying that what Isaiah saw was Jesus. He saw Jesus the king sitting on his throne, and it melted Isaiah. You want to know what a hard heart does not look like? It's this, a person who encounters Jesus the king and just melts before him. So on the one hand, John is saying that Jesus was seen by Isaiah. Jesus the king on his throne was seen by Isaiah. On the other hand, you look back at John 12, the first quote, Lord, who has believed what he heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? This is a quote from Isaiah 53, which we sang earlier. And I want to read that. So Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53, verse 1. Who has believed what he has heard from us. And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? There it is. There's our quote. So we got to wonder, who is this arm of the Lord? For he, so the arm of the Lord is a he. For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men. That makes sense in light of what we just read in Isaiah. That they didn't believe in him. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. So there it is. That fits with John 12. Surely he, the arm of the Lord, he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That's amazing. So on the one hand, Isaiah saw Jesus the king sitting on his throne. On the other hand, he saw Jesus the suffering servant, the light of the world, who took upon himself the darkness of the cross and the darkness of our sins so that we children of darkness could become sons and daughters of light. That's what we see in Isaiah 53. We see Jesus the king, and we see Jesus the suffering servant.
the suffering Messiah. Again, the light of the world. He took on the darkness of the cross, the darkness of our sin, so that we could be drawn out of our darkness, so that we as sons and daughters of darkness could instead become sons and daughters of light. And again, when you think about the context of Isaiah, I think there's even more force to this. Because for the most part, a large portion of the book of Isaiah is judgment on the people of Israel for their sin. Um, Especially the early chapters of Isaiah, it's, it's all about how the people of Israel, they had all they needed to believe. And yet they continued in the sin of unbelief. They continued in the sin of pride, thinking that they didn't need the Lord, that they were good because of the circumstances of their lives. They continued in, in the pride of believing they were better than others because of the circumstances of their lives. They continued in the sin of materialism. They continued in the sin of the oppression of the poor. These are all things that if you read the first uh, 39 chapters of Isaiah, these are all different reasons that the Lord says, I'm going to judge you because of your sin. And these are different things that he says, this is your sin. Now imagine being an Israelite. You've been reading this book and it's full of judgment. Because of your sin, judgment is coming. And then you get to chapter 53. That he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquity. We are healed by his wounds. I think that adds so much, it adds even more force to the beauty of Isaiah 53. That, that what Isaiah saw was Jesus the king, Jesus the suffering servant. The light of the world. That's what he saw. So John says to us, you have all that you need. Believe. That's what he wants for. I think that's the thrust of this passage. That Jesus the King, Jesus the suffering servant, he came, the light of the world, he came to rescue you out of darkness. That's why we gather on Sundays. That's what we celebrate on Sundays, is the light of the world taking upon himself darkness so that we could become children of light. Now, if you're sitting in here and you're a Christian, and again, I think that's the thrust of the passage. The light of the world has come. Believe in him before it's too late. But if you're a Christian, you might be wondering, well, what does this passage mean for me? Um, I, I am a son of light. I am a daughter of light. I've been rescued out of darkness. And so what does this passage mean for me? Well, I think what it means for us is we walk out of here with the same urgency that we see in this passage. You know, I think what it means for those of us who are Christians is that you are a son of light. You are a daughter of light. Simply be who you are. And I can't help but wonder, how would that affect the way that we live our lives among our family, among our neighbors? How would it affect the way we live our lives among our co-workers? If we keep that reality in our minds, that I am a son of light, I am a daughter of light, and I just... I should be who I am. That's who I am. Christ has made me a son or daughter of light. I'm going to simply be who I am. I think that's the message of the Bible. It's not be this 
so that you might be saved. It's through the mercy of Jesus Christ you are this. Now simply be who you are. I think that's the application for us who are here and who are Christians and we wonder what does this mean for us today. So, to summarize one more time, big idea, Jesus is the light of the world who will lead you out of darkness. Believe in him now before it is too late. Let me pray for us. Lord, I, I just pray that for us, that, uh, that, that any who are here today who, who don't know you, who have hearts of stone, that they would feel the urgency of this passage, that today is a day of salvation. They have all they need to believe. And I just ask that you would rescue them today out of darkness into marvelous light. And um, Lord, I, again, I just pray for us who, who, who know you, who are sons and daughters of light. I would imagine some of us need to be comforted by that reality of the day, that sometimes we, we struggle to remember that we are sons and daughters of light. That's who we are. That's uh, that's the new identity that you've given us. And so I pray for us who need to be comforted that we would be comforted by that, that you call us sons and daughters of light. And for those of us who need to be shaken a little bit, who need to be disrupted, that, that you would stir us by that reality that we are sons and daughters of light. So Lord, we, we, um, we're just hopeful that your word does not return void, but you use it in our lives. So I pray that as we sing this last song and as we leave this place, that your word would not return void in our lives, but we would leave this place uh, with hope, with expectation. Amen.